0: Are you looking for a way to get your middle or high schooler engaged in higher level STEM material with an aerospace focus? Well, The Aerospace and Innovation Academy is registering for summer sessions now and includes great options like CubeSat mission planning, space settlement design, science fair prep, and orbital mechanics. Choose from face to face in Palm Beach County, Florida and online options to keep your student learning over the summer. Spaces are limited so check out our social media sites or our webpage for more information or you can just use the google form which is a registration link with all the details posted in the show notes. We look forward to your student joining us as we go to space this summer. Let's go to Space Blue Sky Learning, Episode 68, The Psychology of Space. Today, Kevin and I meet with Carolina Rivera Osorio, a young lady with an avid interest in STEM with a particular focus on the psychological effects of living in space. Carolina was an intern at NASA Headquarters Science Mission Directorate, supporting the Mars Sample Return Mission. She participated in Human Factors, creating the first lunar transport modules for incapacitated astronauts for Johnson Space Center while studying industrial and organizational psychology. Recently, Carolina spent the last seven months in France researching the psychology of sustainable agriculture for future Martian astronauts using hydroponics and microgreens in a Mars analog. In addition to her interest in these areas, Carolina is also a scuba diver and pilot, And she loves gardening, music, and traveling. It was fascinating to hear how she blended so many of her passions into a career field of her choice. And we know that you'll be likewise impressed. And as always, stay tuned after our episode for the takeaway. Well, Carolina, thank you so much for meeting with us this evening. You know, I know that our listeners uh, have not at all yet heard from someone in your career field. So I want you to share with us a little bit about who you are and how you got to be involved in space.
1: Well, thank you for having me here today. Actually, my, um, well, my name is Carolina. I studied psychology for a bachelor degree. For my associate's degree, I studied math and sciences. And for my research, actually, I was in France doing, uh, you know, plant psychology for the last seven months. And I'm currently a student pilot. I got certified as an advanced scuba diver and, you know, I also worked on uh, supporting the Mars sample return mission for NASA and the science mission directorate. And I discovered that I was really passionate about psychology and engineering, but I didn't know that it was possible to merge the two until uh, I was given an opportunity while I was an intern at NASA. And uh, there was a nice supervisor who was asking students to join and participate in this project where they created lunar transport modules for incapacitated astronauts. But since I was a psychologist, I thought they were only looking for engineers, but I I asked anyways if I can participate, and he was so kind, and he said, of course you can participate in this project. So thanks to that experience of him allowing me to participate in this um, project, I discovered that there was such a thing as human factors, which is psychology and engineering, and I'm so passionate about, about it.
0: Yeah, I can see why. That's one of the few parts when they do space settlements uh, when Kevin works with the kids that I actually, not only do I understand, but I can see the need for how something that we see here on Earth, we have these little microcosms that are actually even in vaster places. So what um, when you're thinking about those human factors, what are some of the problems that we might see from a psychological aspect for people who are in space?
1: Well, There's a lot. Well, first of all, going into space is uh, is very scary. You know, even for the most bravest astronauts. First of all, you're going into a vacuum basically, and it's an infinity. You know, it never ends. So that right there is just like, you know, how prepared are you? Are you? you, It doesn't matter how much training you receive once you're there. It's like, oh my God, like, can you really prepare somebody for that until they experience it? You really can't. But what we could do is um, study how we can minimize the amount of error between human and machine interface. So the way they interact, for example, if you're putting a pilot in a cockpit, how do you make sure that the pilot doesn't hit the wrong button? How do they know? It's like they have to be like in an orchestra, you know, they have the pilot and the first uh, captain in command. So they have to know exactly where to press without making as much error as possible. So that's where we come in, the human factor psychologist.
2: That's very interesting. I'm going to back up just a little bit. You dropped two nice terms I want to Ask you about again. First of all, you mentioned something about plant psychology in France. Uh, you, you, did I hear that correctly? And if I did, I'm going to need an explanation. Second thing, <laughs> I think we'd both like to know more about your intern experience at NASA. But I, first, let's go to plant psychology.
1: Sure. Okay. So, um, so for in France, I was very honored to be part of this. Um, Uh, There was a Mars analog called the she habitat and the she habitat. I don't know if you've seen movies like the Martian where, you know, they send uh, the astronauts to live on Mars and in this little tiny home. And so I was doing my plant research there. I had my hydroponic system and hydroponics is basically just plants without dirt and the water runs through the roots and it circulates and it grows like really, really fast. And it grows um, and it yields a lot of food. And then on top of that, I worked with the microgreens and I learned this because uh, I was recommended by scientists from NASA, like they're telling me that all oh, the International Space Station is actually looking at microgreens right now. When I looked at the research, I discovered, well, you know, I learned on my from, from the reading that it yielded 40% more nutrients than any kind of like regular crop that you would grow from dirt or from hydroponics itself. So I realized, you know, I should be spending more time looking at microgreens because it yields faster has more nutrients and it's super super easy to grow
2: it's very interesting um i actually read a paper recently and i was sharing with my students that uh nasa they um they genetically engineered some lettuce to actually have uh, a hormone related to bone regulation so the idea is that the astronauts could eat the lettuce rather than take pills you know if we can genetically modify plants Mm-hmm. to make the pharmaceuticals, the vitamins, the micro, as you said, the microgreens or the micronutrients we need, that's a much more sustainable mm-hmm. way than trying to manufacture pills mm-hmm. for like long-term spaceflight.
1: Exactly. Part of the research that I was trying to put emphasis on, so the whole, the title itself was the psychology of sustainable agriculture for future Martian astronauts. And, you know, people say all the time, oh, yeah, I feel, I feel relaxed when I garden. I don't know if, if you've experienced, you know, during the quarantine and COVID, maybe you had like a little arrow garden or you had a big garden and you just started planting. Maybe that made you feel better, like more grounded to the earth. Um, But I wanted to show like, you know, having as much color in my garden as possible, having as as much uh, smell, as much taste as I can put together like in a salad, you basically, I wanted a rainbow on a plate. Because I know, like astronauts, when they're in the International Space Station, if you look at the food before, it was very like, wasn't very, it didn't look very appetizing, you know. And food plays a big factor when you're sharing a common meal with your crewmates. And even myself, when I make food at home, you know, I notice when I see more smiles on the table when I put rainbow on their plate, you know, it, it makes people happy. So I wanted to show that that does make a difference in the research, and from the research that I've conducted, it does show um, a difference by putting color and smell and, put, and closing them with plants versus without plants.
2: This is fantastic. I, I've already decided I want you to speak to my yeah. teams because we do the tomato sphere and the plant the moon challenge, which is uh tomato sphere. They send seeds up to space. They irradiate them, you know, and then they bring them mm-hmm. down. And then plant the moon is where mm-hmm. we're trying to grow food in regolith. Have you worked any with uh, farming in regolith in your time with NASA?
1: Regular. No, actually my time at NASA had nothing to do with plants. This was actually in the last seven months where um, I started doing the research related to plants and psychology. At NASA was more related to Mars sample and data management, working with, you know, the rovers in Mars and collecting the data and putting it all together to share it with the NASA community.
2: Oh, very good. Were you in the uh, Office of STEM Engagement or were you in a, a different office?
1: This was the science mission directorate. Got it, very cool, mm-hmm.
2: very cool. Um, what was the most enjoyable, uh, what did you enjoy most about your time as a NASA intern? And am I right? Have you concluded your internship period or are you still an intern?
1: Yeah, no, actually this internship took place in August in 2021, right before I came, I moved to France. So I guess the, the happiest, I would say, hmm, the people most of all, it, are the ones that made the experience really special because not only was I given the opportunity to work on projects where, you know, without now it's more like about like education, like where, you know, your degrees or how many certificates you have, but really it's not really about how good of a test taker you are or, you know, how well you do on paper. For example, me, my forte is not test taking. It's more research based. So I can show like I put a lot of enthusiasm into my work and I put a lot of pride in the quality of it. So I think they were, they saw that at NASA. They see that in students, that those who are willing to excel, like they, it's like they give them that fertilizer, they push them to grow. And it's not like, you know, like in different workplaces where it's like you have a dream and you kind of keep it to yourself because you're, it's like a competition. At NASA, it's more like you tell them, for example, I want to be an astronaut when I grow up and they're just like, oh, really? Well, let me introduce you to someone you might be interested in uh, talking to in the astronaut office or, someone who has you know spoken to astronauts you know dealing with their schedules, something like that like they'll just network you and it's just like it shows that they're not it's not like a selfish environment it's very open and that to me is very is it's beautiful to have a group of people to work with who are so positive and optimistic
0: so if we have students who are listening or parents even and this is of course like you said it wasn't like you had ever thought about combining these two passions that you have into that How do you find a uh, like a school program or a school path that kind of allows you to specialize in this area? Like, in other words, if our listeners are thinking, "Hey, this might actually be something I want to do," what would be a track that they would look into?
1: So, for space psychology, it's almost it's very hard to find space psychologists because you know, like the only place I'll actually find like uh, these kind of people is in NASA or you know space agencies. So I. I was also asking myself the same thing when I started I I was doing math and sciences and I was on a track towards I was going to study medical and I was very good at it, but at the same time. I decided, maybe this wasn't for me, so I looked at psychology and I realized I was really good at psychology but when i finally got the dream job that i thought i wanted and i earned finally i was in my little cubicle and i realized i always had the international space station playing and i had here my little astronaut behind me who with you know always inspired me and i would always look at my astronaut and i would think about what made me happy as a child and i remember a time when my mom brought me outside to the backyard and she said i want to show you something and she Made me look up at the sky for the first time. I saw like the Gemini meteor shower. And I was like, wow, like there were so many stars, and that never left me since childhood. So I realized like I am not ha- If I'm not happy in a job, you know, then what's the point if you're not fulfilled? So that's when it occurred to me, I can mix what I have already, psychology and space. And I looked everywhere to find, you know, uh, what opportunities can I have? Is this even a thing? And I saw research papers and I started reaching out to scientists who focus on psychology and space, and they got back to me actually, and you know I was able to network with them and get their guidance, and that's actually how I was able to find research, and, you know, the opportunity to do research in France. So you kind of have to, you know, like it's all about getting out there, away from your comfort zone, and reaching out to people, asking questions. The worst thing that can happen is they don't respond or they say, okay, no, like I, there's no opportunity, and that's okay. You just keep going, you keep going, you keep being persistent.
2: Right. So you're saying that you have to be uh, risk tolerant and not Mm -hmm. being afraid to fail helps. Yeah. But I would also posit based on just what little we know about you, that you had done high quality work, no matter what you were doing. And that enabled you to pivot without losing a lot of ground or having to start over. Right. The fact that you were doing good work and you had a good reputation probably made it easier to pivot. I would, I would, I would share with you that I think that you need to work with space physiologists, right? The people that look at the whole animal, the, and you're the behavior side of it, and mm-hmm. and then they can do the biochemistry, and you bring those two together, and that would be what do we see happening up there, and then what's the molecular basis for it? I think that would be a a nice fit for you to be in space medicine, right? You,
0: okay. psychology
2: is just the, you know, it's just a subset of space medicine, right? I think, but. I think there's a lot of potential there because we don't really know how people are going to do when Mm -hmm. they get so far away from the earth that they can't see the earth well. And you talked about the psychological impact of confined spaces and not a lot of colors. And I think I remember the astronauts tell me their tastes get dampened in space, right? Their noses get Mm -hmm. stuffy and food doesn't taste the same. Mm -hmm. And I think one of them said the first thing they wanted when they came home was pizza, right? Really nice (laughs) pizza. But can you speak to maybe some of your Uh, research that you might have done that really interests you in the field of space psychology?
1: The research I've done, to be honest, most of the things that inspired me to focus on psychology was more like what I love doing. And my mom, I didn't like gardening at all in the beginning. It was actually my mom who introduced me and she asked me to help her in the garden um, a couple of times. And, you know, I just wanted to be with my mom, so I would help her. And then, you know, how do you start when you have so many plants and flowers to learn their names. And, you know, I, I learned that some of them like sunlight, some of them like shade. And it's a science in itself. And it's like, how do you learn all of this? You just start with little things. Like you start with little, little seeds and you learn that, okay, but you can start with herbs. If you like cooking, you know, what is oregano? How does parsley grow? Like, do they, how do they smell? And then from there, you just start learning. Like every flower has a name. It has a, its origin, where it comes from. To me, that's beautiful. And that's actually what inspired me to, to, to just do it because it makes me happy.
0: I like what you were saying too about the different colors, right? On the rainbow. Yes, that's psychologically, but we know from a nutritional aspect as well, having that rainbow makes the insides happy. So I would be thinking to like, if if, if I were in this confined space, which would never be me, by the way, because I would be one of those people who would hyperventilate just a thought <laughs> about it, right? That would, I could not. But I also think that I would be, being away from those that I love would be a psychological mm-hmm. factor. I think mm-hmm. even the idea of where do I exercise to maybe release those endorphins becomes problematic. And and just even having like, can they just like if I even want to call up a web MD now or get my counselor on the line from a psychological aspect, I can do that here. I wonder is that available for astronauts uh, when when they're even or even in the ISS to just call up
1: and get counseling like we might here on Earth. Yeah, well, I'm not an expert on this actually, but I did I do know that there are there are doctors in NASA that are there for their astronauts whenever they need. They also do psychological evaluations. They check them every day, make sure that they do their exercise, that they get enough hydration. And a lot of this you can actually see like, you know, if you watch Netflix, there's like a show called Away and mm-hmm. it shows a lot about the psychology, like what happens when they're in confined spaces like you'll see one of the astronauts they have like a like a psychosis where they just want to go home and they want to go home. And it's happened in the past with, you know, previous astronauts on the ISS. You know, we don't know what what it's like until we're actually on there, like I said before. So can you really judge them for how they're acting? Yeah.
2: Right. And I also hear it smells up there, right? That that ISS is its own microbiome. Think about Mm -hmm. it. Hundreds of people have come and gone. Mm -hmm. 20 years of bacteria, yeast, fungi, stuff Mm -hmm. growing everywhere. That's its own unique place. That's the very... There's no place like that on earth right as far as the flora
1: the Mm. the the microbes
2: and things that live there i have a question for you uh what do you think if you had to design a menu to be healthy in space what do you think is the minimum number of plant species you would need if you had to get most of your protein from plants uh have you thought about what would be the ideal um you know uh, menu or the ideal you're a farmer right you're let's say you're a space farmer what do you what are the things that you know you're going to grow if you're in space
1: well they've actually done a lot of research on like which plants grow the most and i think there's also been student competition to see like because you can't really you can't grow certain plants together because there's chemistry with them as well well for sure you definitely want tomatoes you want some herbs you want some you know broccoli you want things that are going to give you like benefit you for your body. You want them to be multifunctional. You want them to have calcium, vitamins, as much iron as you know you can take in for them as well. So I don't know the minimum. I ne- that's actually a very good question. I don't know how what the minimum know, would be. I know they're
2: working on that, right? And uh, I'm sure they mm-hmm. are. I actually visited the kitchen once at Johnson, where those ladies prepare the the meals and. I know the astronauts go like if they were going to space, they would go and sample and come up with their own menus if they were going to live on the ISS. That
0: would be a fun cooking show.
2: It, like like I, cooking I in so, space, right? Yeah. Like it
0: would be one of those <laughs> like 30 minute shows where this is all we have here in the ISS. What you are we going
2: to
1: make? Um, yeah, that's actually pretty a good idea. Think yeah,
2: so? f- 15 years <clears> ago, <throat> my daughter did a competition in high school where you created an energy bar and the winner nationally, their bar became a food on the ISS. So, but you gave a lot of consideration, like you said, to the composition and types of nutrients, the, you know, h- how many carbs are you going to put in it, you know, you, I think they only allowed you to use honey, you couldn't use sh- like pure sugar for, to sweeten it, but you could use honey. For instance. Well,
0: speaking of nutrients and like this is just a question because you had said most of the plants are hydroponically grown right so there's no soil in that respect so how do plants that are if they're growing that way how would they get the normal nutrients that we
1: normally subscribe
0: to those particular plants.
1: Are you talking asking me about the plants here on Earth?
0: No, well, I mean, I know I thought you meant and maybe maybe I misunderstood. Like if we were talking about growing something in space, the idea would be hydroponically.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Whether it's here on Earth or whether it's it's there, how do we get the nutrients in there if there's no soil? And I guess it could be here or there.
1: So for hydroponics, well, oh, excuse me, the just lost the page to graph. So for hydroponics um on Earth with gravity, you know, we, we put like nutrients, a little bit of plant food to give it that boost that it needs. Um, in space, we also use fertilizer. I believe we also have different methods. I heard that they use like vapor as well, a vapor method where they spray the roots, but also I was thinking too like you know hydroponics work great if you're on earth I mean because you have water you know the gravity works but what about space if you can't really use that in space because if the water passes through the roots you know it'll just stick to the roots and eventually the roots are going to rot so that doesn't really work and that's why microgreens are very helpful too because microgreens they grow like you know within four seven days and you just cut you know you chop them and then you put them in your sandwich and then they just keep growing and growing growing, right right right, right. I, I
2: think um Uh, like a gelatin material might be interesting. I think I'm going to have some of my kids maybe do some experiments with uh, putting the roots in gelatin or some sort of uh, like a diaper material, you know, that's real absorbent that will hold lots of water and slowly let the water release to the roots. There's many neat things like that going on. If you ever come to Florida again, uh, there's a space life sciences building at Kennedy Space Center. And I have seen the greens that you speak of that's where they were testing that hardware out before they took it up to the ISS. lots of lots of plant experiments at the space Life sciences building.
1: Oh yeah, I, I have heard of that they all the plant experiments are in Kennedy Space Center and wow, like I have never been to Kennedy Space Center. why believe it or not, yeah, I know I was in Jacksonville and I I didn't have the opportunity. I was so young and at that time, you know space was not. It was just, I would see the little rockets going up, but it, at that time I thought it was like, you know, a dream to be an astronaut, like it's impossible, you know, but it's not, it's not impossible. People are doing it now. And even now with the private uh, aerospace industries, like they're sending more and more people up into space.
0: Right, and it's not just about being an astronaut. I think that was, that's always a misconception people have is, oh, okay, aerospace just means an astronaut. No, and as, as you're proving every single sector, as far as a job that we have here that we might be passionate about can be applied there so this has been uh really i think it'll be eye-opening for for many of our listeners as well yes Mm
2: -hmm. so what are your future plans as far as uh schooling we know you're going to become a pilot what is the uh it sounds like if you're a scuba pilot you speak russian i mean that's the (laughs) you could be an astronaut. that's that's the uh you know for some of us that applied you know the 20 years ago before you were born i i applied two or three times but i know the checklist right scuba Uh, You got to have a master's in STEM, a SCUBA, speak Russian, pilot's license doesn't hurt. Uh, Honestly, if you're an academy grad and a test pilot, that didn't hurt either. So uh, is it safe to say you're hoping to become an astronaut one day?
1: Well, yes, I think I definitely do. would like to become an astronaut someday. And, you know, I do get a lot of, um, you know, reality checks from people telling me, you know, it's not realistic to be an astronaut. And after thinking about it, yeah, it was pretty... It's hard to even consider okay like can I be an astronaut but for me I think it's more about the journey getting there regardless if you make it or not if I don't make it I can still help other people make it
2: oh you're gonna have a lot of fun too that's what I found is you can't set out to be one I agree with you you just have to be the best human you can be in the things that you love and if so that's what I've always heard if you're really good at what you love and you're doing well in those lanes somebody may notice, right? But uh, Christina Koch, the lady from NC State, my alma mater, she just spent about a year up on the space station. Uh, She was one of the two women, remember they couldn't find suits where two women could spacewalk at one time. Because
0: we didn't make the suits for women. the the suits are
2: made for, yeah. Uh, But she was like only one of the eight in her class that weren't military, right? They were were all military except for her. But I applaud your, uh, you know, the goal is a good one, right? You should keep the goal and do as much fun things as you can and enjoy the ride. and it's not up for you to decide anyway, right? you, you don't get to choose. you can only you know you can only but deal, you can apply. play that hand that you're dealt right and be very good. I, I think that's what NASA really wants. Is they want people that are very good at what they do and that they work well with others i feel like that but isn't important.
0: it also the case that like as we point out with these private industries now it may well be that there are possibilities that you can do that not through nasa in absolutely
2: the uh number one if you're rich you can go to space right now you know but <laughs> exactly. for the rest of us uh you know what i'm waiting for is that really well-meaning billionaire that says i want to fly a thousand teachers or uh, you know, ten thousand teachers. Fifteen years ago, we all got to fly zero G because they made ways for teachers to fly the Vomit Comet with experiments. So that was. Oh, yeah. fun. <laughs> so what's in your future, though? I'm sorry, we we got sidetracked a little. Uh, but uh, what what are your plans?
1: For me, right now, I I really want to take one step at a time. I just got scuba certified for Nawi Advanced Training. I would like to be a dive master. I for me. Diving is just something that relaxes me. It really helps me when I'm really, really stressed out. Just me, I was in Germany and I met like a whole wonderful community. Like they all became like family to me. They basically adopted me while I was in France because I was at the border. So whenever I was stressed at school, I would go across the border to Germany and there would be my German family waiting for me to go diving. So it also teaches you to be more um, a team player because diving is never done alone because it's too dangerous to do so you always have to have a buddy with you so when you you know you're underwater you're always making sure you're making eye contact with the person and you know what it's funny because my dive master spoke mostly german he barely spoke you know english so we had a barrier an inter- a cultural barrier there but underwater we all understand each other because we're all giving each other signs so it's like a universal thing so that to me is what draws me to scuba diving So, that's for me, that's part of my future. I would like to be a dive master and share that skill with other people as well. And then there's aviation. I would love to become a commercial pilot, you know, to gain the experience to travel the world because I love traveling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the same time, I can't give up on my dreams too because I want to continue no matter what. And I want to be able to share that with other people because for me, this is like my joy. And I love that you're working with, you know, students most of all, because that is our future they are the future and we need to inspire them. And me personally, I think we should put more emphasis on training them to go into space because they're more adaptable. They are, you know, since they're so young they can learn so quickly. And I wonder, you know, we're training astronauts who are, are, you know, much older and, you know, in their career. But once you're, you know, like a teenager, you're, you're 12, let's say, and you're always learning something new and you can pick it up so quickly. That's my take. I think we should be putting more emphasis on children to go so that they can last, you know, have many more years in space.
2: So, so you want an astronaut corps that's sort of like the Boy Scouts or the Girl wow. Scouts yeah. where you start training in this, like the Scouts are.
1: Yeah, prepare them. Prepare them because, you know, space is, is moving so quickly right now. Like we're in a, what, like, yeah. what a time to be alive, right? Like <laughs> we're seeing people go to space and who knows, maybe children will be able to go to space as well
0: well they they have said and a couple of books have been written about the the kids in our classrooms they are the future martians it's who there are kids alive right now who will be the ones so, there so
1: yes
2: we, exactly. we work with we work with kids from india uh, on a coding hackathon we we travel all over the world with our students we are excited to Try to motivate them and inspire them to get in the STEM pipeline and not to leak out. So I, I think uh, meeting people like you, right, yeah. that are just a little bit older than the kids are, that, that is really a, helps them. Yes, they, they very quickly look up to people like you and say, if she can do it, I think I can do it.
0: Before we get to the That's final cool. question, which is really just about any final words or advice that you might have. I want to recommend too, and you probably have already done this, but there's so many conferences that your idea on space psychology and your and your you know your true love for doing what you what you enjoy, but sharing that passion with others, the idea of the community that um, is so important to you. If you're not already publishing, I think you could easily with some of your your ideas. So you know there are a couple of conferences I'm sure Kevin can tell yes. you about that we'd love to have you come meet us at one day we we, we need you to be
2: we need you to become part of the wolf pack you can be like part of our pack We, we go all over so
1: i would love to Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you everything fantastic. that you need you to to
0: join us there. So um, we always end, as I said, with some advice for some of maybe either our students who are listening, who are now inspired, going, "Wow, I had no idea I could blend things that I, you know that I didn't see connected," or even parents, or even you know, we we might have some teachers as well. So, uh, what are some words that you have for them about how to pursue their passions?
1: I would say you know, don't be afraid to fail and. Don't listen to others if they, you know, whatever they say, they can say whatever they want, but what matters is what you want to do. If it makes you happy, if you can imagine yourself doing it, do it and just continue. Don't stop.
0: We really appreciate that. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Um, And I know that we're going to continue talking with you uh, again soon, but um, thank you for your time tonight.
2: And, And thank you very much.
0: No problem. Thank you for having me. that was really exciting for me. I, you know, I I mention all the time that I never really realized all the kinds of possibilities that were associated in this industry, but I never thought about psychology, and it makes me want to go back to school and be a space psychologist.
2: Yes, the, um, the older I get, I still am never, my enthusiasm is never dulled in meeting young people who are excited about something to do with space and who are eager to learn. I really, yeah. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. And for our listeners, we we hit the we stopped the recording, and then I think we had uh, about twenty more minutes well, of just
0: because she's fascinating, right? Yes. Like there's so many. What I love about her is. That she is not just saying, I'm going to be pigeonholed into doing this. As she had mentioned before the podcast, that the idea that she was, had gone down one career path, but she was like, why? And she was good at it, right, to be a doctor. And she's like, I would not, this would not be my area of passion, so how do I blend the two? And there are little astronaut on the back shelf that inspires her. And she thought, and she found the perfect way to take what she loves and blend it together. That's fantastic. Not everybody does that.
2: Yes. So uh, just a heads up, uh, we're heading into summer. Uh, Summer of 2022, I want to remind everyone that in the fall, on October 29th and 30th, we're hosting our first conference, the SmallSat Education Conference. The website is smallsateducation.org. If you are a student, a teacher, or an administrator from middle school to college, we are inviting you to join us at the Kennedy Space Center for free to be a part of our conference. We're going to have university CubeSat teams present. We're going to have companies with high altitude balloon curricula and hardware present. And we want it to be an opportunity for uh, trying to draw some more of you into the space STEM pipeline. So please join us at our conference uh, in October.
0: And speaking of joining us, we hope that you'll join us again next week. As we say, let's let's go go to to space. space.